With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. It's here. It's hot. And it's a must read. It's the science behind the Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net. That's lawofattractionmagazine.net. Miracles of mind, super learning, the physiology of trauma, PSI, morphogenic resonance, heart intelligence, theater of the mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness, theater of the mind podcast, brought to you by brainsync.com, CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance at brainsync.com, expand your knowledge of the body mind connection and learn how to tap the other 90% of your unused potential. Hello and welcome once again to Theater of the Mind, your host, Kelly Howell. Our guest today is an inspirational teacher and leader. Sister Jenna is the founder of the Meditation Museum in Washington, D.C., and she's the host of the nationally syndicated America Meditating Radio Show. We met when I was on her show and had a great connection. Her mission is to decode critical current issues and offer us a perspective that empowers people to find more clarity and insight. Sister Jenna, welcome. I'm so happy we got to uh, have Mm -hmm. this call today. Me too. Me too. I'm glad to be with you. You know, when you invited me to be on your show, I just... I don't know, I felt a really good connection, and I know so little about you because you were asking questions about me. So I want to, now it's my turn. I get to ask you. So tell me, how and when did your mission find you? And I I kind of scoped out your websites a little, and I thought, hmm, you're really a spiritual activist as well. Uh, That's so cool that you said that. It's funny. Um, wow. Well, when I was 16, way back in the days, my parents got involved with a spiritual organization called the Brahma Kumaris. And my mother being orphaned at five Kelly and just abused, abandoned, and just the worst things that could possibly happen to a young girl without parents. Um, I've seen her, you know, whilst growing up, just very, um, very angry, very defensive, because that's what she's had to do to protect herself and her and her siblings. But after about six or seven months in her study with the Brahma Kumaris, that woman changed into an angel. And for the first time after witnessing her being a Muslim, convert 
to Judaism. She then became a Rastafarian. You know, she was searching, but she was Roman Catholic at the, her base. Um, I saw her six, seven months later after she got involved with the Brahma Kumaris, just a changed woman. Something had shifted in her. I think that started to initiate within me, like, huh, maybe they're not so bad. But I really wasn't interested. I mean, sure, when you were called on your mission, you got the touching maybe once or twice, and you were still <laughs> moving on with business as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the same for me, but it was her transformation that confirmed that there was really something very powerful there. And so in my early 20s, I had a series of experiences and download of God's light and awareness of his qualities. They just started to flow through me. And so I knew where I could go to as a resource to get some more clarity as to what these feelings meant or, you know, what what was this all about? Now, keep in mind, Kelly, I used to own two nightclubs in South Beach, Miami back in the day. When I was so, having... Okay, but were you meditating when you were no, getting these spiritual downloads? No, not at all. I was heavy into my clubbing and my fancy luxury cars and whatever name brand outfit. I need to come out of my luxury car that night at the Seriously? club. Seriously? Oh, my God. <laughs> hello? <laughs> so so we can talk shoes? <laughs> oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes. You, oh, my God. My shoes were like two, three hundred, four hundred dollars and back in those and now days, there's six or eight hundred that's a lot of money back in those days yeah I know, I know yeah so you had nightclubs and so you had this spiritual download yeah yeah it was just like and, and where, where were you were you i was in a caribbean country dating the son of a prime minister at the time and that was emerging in my consciousness like it was just giving me another alternative another way of living and when I came back to, you know, Miami, which is where I was raised, I just decided to go to India for a month. And I went to the Brahma Kumari's headquarters in India. And I came back and I was no longer Jenna, but I was Sister Jenna. Sister back. Jenna. <laughs> wow. Tell me about the Brahma Kumari's. It started what, what's about... The, what's the orientation of it? It started about 80 years ago and... Um, it was really from a very deep experience of our founder, Brahma Baba. But the impact of its vibration was so palpable that in the community at the time where it started in Pakistan, um, hundreds of people just started to gather because of the presence and the vibrations that they were feeling. And then years later, it started to expand and got into the West. And then from one center in Pakistan, it's now 9,000 centers in 120 countries. And what I appreciate a lot about it is that the leadership of the culture is very feminine-driven. Most of the leadership are, are women. And oh, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. 75 to 80% of the leadership is women. And they basically hold the integrity of the organization. Mm-hmm. And now, so you came back from I came India back from India as yeah. Sister Jenna. <laughs> I mean that in terms one of the of... <laughs> sisters, <laughs> a soul sister. Yeah, oh, there you go. And uh, and what happened? 
Because um, you have the meditation museum, you have these, you have all these amazing things right. that you're doing in the world. Well, you know, that happened. The museum came like about maybe 20 years later or 15 years later. Um, I came back and I'm just sitting there wondering, there's no way I can go back to that clubbing. It's just not in me anymore because I changed. Something inside had shifted for me. And my fortune was that I had the spiritual alternative as a community that I could turn to that knew me since I was 16, 17 years old. So Daddy Janki, who is the spiritual head of the Brahma Kumaris, he's 101 years old. Uh, back in that time, she just looked into my eyes and knew I was ready, and she told me to go with her. And so I picked up one little suitcase, ended up going to New York to live with one of the senior yogis, she says, if you don't like it after three months, you can continue with what you've been doing. And I've been here now for 25 years. So they scooped you up. <laughs> they sort of they sort of really just signaled that because she knew me, you know, from I was a teenager. So she knew what my tendencies were. So I think when I came back from India and she saw me just so settled inside of myself, she knew that it could have been the time where my call to be more in service to humanity could start at that moment. And she has that ability to know your destiny. It's interesting, that call to destiny and, and how it finds us. Do you think that people searching for their destiny, you know, if you're searching really hard to find your destiny, whether it's in service to people or a spiritual path, um, kind of work. Um, do you think that destiny finds you or you have to reach out for it? Hmm. I think our destiny is preordained in our consciousness, waiting to manifest if we are humble and courageous enough to make the necessary moves to live that out. And so I feel that we're so distracted by just a common way of living, you know, raising a family and uh, paying our bills and our mortgage, that they sometimes consume our thoughts that we stop listening to what's actually been trying, you know, been signaling to us, this is where you need to be. And then, you know, the, the conflicts that we get caught up in where we start to feel like our destiny is calling us, but it means I can't live with the family in this way. I have to change a particular way of being and existing and it becomes very challenging because there's a destiny in you that's calling you but then there's an outside reality that's got name and titles and responsibilities so i always tell people contribute one hour a day to fulfilling that call that destiny that's that's urging you to make a move so by contributing at least whatever is needed to fulfill that call or that destiny, one hour a day, then eventually you're building that energy in your system where it will still align with paying the mortgage, taking care of the kids, being married and being in that place. So it won't be a drastic breakaway. Mm -hmm. And when you open up in that mm -hmm. way, just devoting an hour a day to... It helps. It helps. Inquiry and... Humility, I like what you said about that. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I find that if 
you know, there's a fine line between personal will and one's surrender and destiny path. And uh, our personal will can uh, take us on all kinds of um, paths that aren't really as fulfilling as they could be if we surrender to a higher guidance. I love that. I have so many students, especially in D.C., um, everyone here is really looking to do something grand in their lives. And I've had a few students where they're in very high positions, whether it's in the government or corporate or the private sector, and they decide to leave it and try to fulfill their call. And now some of them are homeless. Some of them can't pay their bills. They've lost a lot of hair. They've gotten sick. And despite my efforts to tell them, please follow through this simple technique, one hour a day until you feel released, that what happens is that it doesn't happen that way when you just cut off and go, I'm going to do this. And you think Mm. like six months later, you'd be able to get your life together and you can manage it. Nobody knows what's at the core of anyone's spirit, anyone's soul at a karmic level. So I like to play it safe. Um, I just, like that. Just let me acclimate. Yeah, acclimate yourself. Yeah. See how it feels and, and yeah. not hurt anyone along the way. Yeah. Well, tell us about the Meditation Museum. I've told a few people about you, and when I mention the Meditation Museum, they raise their eyebrows and go, what is that? <laughs> love to raise people's <laughs> eyebrows. I think it's awesome. <laughs> so about eight years ago, um, I sat with my very dear friend, Mrs. Fulbright, from the Fulbright family, and said, do you think I can do this in D.C.? She says, sister, if you can, it'll be a success everywhere. So she and I worked together on the wordings and the narrative, and I wanted a museum that people could come into and understand their deeper, most intimate thoughts. So there are artifacts, artwork, music, video messaging, um, a meditation cafe where people can just come in and find themselves out. And then if they want to take it a step further, they can have one of the instructors sit with them, um, give them a conversation how to meditate. And keep in mind, Kelly, last year alone, we um, sponsored and organized 179 events in the museum. Oh, that's beautiful. It's not just a sitting down stagnant energy, but it's moving because the spirit, the soul is always changing. So that means there's always something happening. It's progressing. So now we have two, one in uh, downtown Silver Spring and the other one um, in Tyson's, Virginia. And they're doing well, very well. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. What a great idea. It is. What, what, why museum? Because. Instead of like, you know, meditation studio or uh, you know, whatever. Just museum is an interesting choice. We're ancient souls. We are all Mm. ancient souls, and we all have history. Mm. And um, I think we've forgotten that history. So I wanted a space that can come and remember their virtues, their values, their qualities, their strengths, their areas and powers where they can triumph over evil or that which is the lower sense of the self. And so that's why I specifically wanted it to be a museum. And by the way, um, we have a museum in Washington called Crime and Punishment. And I passed by that years ago and I went, oh my, if they can have a Crime and Punishment Museum, why can't we do a museum that that helps people to understand themselves? 
and Meditation <laughs> Museum came out of that too. <laughs> yes, and it's also a way to explore the artifacts of the soul. Exactly. I got well put, it. That's well put. Beautiful. You've got to come and see it. It's so gorgeous. I will. So gorgeous. I will when I'm in D.C. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to be in D.C. right now, but we're not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to go there. I am going to go there a little bit. (laughs) I want to go there a little bit because you also started a grassroots campaign called Meditate the Vote, which is about bringing respect, compassion, and peaceful dialogue to our election process. So I don't want to get into politics because people are so polarized, but how can Meditate the Vote help bring people together? And is it working? That's why I did that. And I started it in May and we're getting to our closure in it. It's so um, subtle or it really brings people together from both sides, red or blue, black or white, rich or poor. And we engage in conversations at public venues where we have four core questions that we ask individuals to to dialogue together with, to to explore. And then we also have a PowerPoint of images, which are basically called my interpretation slides. And I ask people to look at these images and ask, what do you see? And time and time again, everyone has a different interpretation. So then I turn it back to, so now how do you see these candidates? Are you really seeing them for who and what they are? Or at the end of the journey, do you have to become a powerful person despite who goes into office? So the real purpose of Meditate the Vote is more of an empowerment of the citizens of this country that right now the country is so polarized with the mm-hmm. intensity of this unprecedented um, election that's just got everyone's eyes and ears just like what in the world is happening well and the other thing is i think part of it is the um vast web of social media Mm -hmm. and so it's gotten so loud you know everybody's screaming and yelling on youtube and this you know and twitter and um you know there's a zillion different opinions and its humanity and all of its chaos and, you know, messy, messiness. Right. And it's just uh, seems to have gotten to a, a high pitch that is certainly upsetting some people, I think. You know, there's right. violence and, um, you know, so what are the four questions that that you asked to open up a more peaceful and compassionate dialogue. I'll tell you how powerful this is, Kelly, and everyone who's listening. I was at the White House, which I go to regularly, and I was sat- I was sitting next to a very um, um, important lawyer in our country. And I was telling him about Meditate the Vote, and I, I asked him one of the first questions out of the four. Are you powerful enough to effect change? And he said immediately, oh, yes. And then my other question was, um, are you able to sustain it? He didn't answer. Mm. And you see, that's what this does. That's what these questions do. And my other question is, what do you value the most about America? Because a lot of people are not talking about what's good about the country anymore, just about how bad it's getting. Well, what do you mm. like about the country? And what are you contributing to keeping it that way? The third thing is, are you worthy? Do you believe that your life is worthy and how is it modeling how is it being modeled at this time because we can't believe in a higher good if we don't feel good within our own beings 
And then the last question, because of all the divisiveness in this campaign, I'm asking people, please share with us what methods do you know about that creates inclusivity and share that with us? Because we want to know what you're doing that brings a variety of diverse people together in one room harmoniously. Teach us that. Let us know. Well, that is great. So it's helping people, those questions. It, you find that people are opening up um, and is. having a deeper dialogue. It is, sister. We have seen Republicans and Democrats leave the room making appointments to meet for dinner in another day. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. 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 A, lot of the, yeah. a lot of the projects that I've been inspired to create, which has been 19 in the last 20 years, um, they have become national important movements, but also they've also influenced the world at a larger scale. Perhaps it's because of my Brahma Kumaris being in 120 countries, I have that access. Mm -hmm. But also a lot of them are just so subtle that a lot of times we don't understand that it's really doing its work at a very, very deep level in consciousness. But me and everyone that's involved or whoever participates in it, they can feel this has changed my life forever. And that's what we do. Well, we need to get you a little uh, or big meditation room in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> and you can mediate and meditate with the would love that. Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> I would love that. I would really love Wouldn't that. Wouldn't it be great if you could do that? Like bring I people love together that place. in that way? You yeah. know, when I walk down the halls, it's like I feel like I'm there. There is... Um, this very peaceful, loving presence that just wants to help everyone that's really scrambling in these halls to try to hold up things that are falling or move things mm. to make it better. And even if there are people who have lost their focus and why they're in such an important house, that maybe my pure wishes and pure thoughts might impact them to shift that or reduce it. And I trust that. Oh, I believe that. Your blessing, walking the halls, you're, you're sending blessings. I believe that. Now, you have an app, right? Yes, Pause pa for Peace. Pause. <laughs> Tell me about that. 13-year-old, bored stiff, summer vacation. Sister Jenna, Sister Jenna, look, look, look what's on my iPad. Sister Jenna, Sister Jenna, look at this video. I'm like, is there anything that you could do with all this talent? Can't you just design an app? Oh, yeah, I can do an app. 13-year-old, designed the Pause for Peace app. Saved us $8,000. That's the story. <laughs> <laughs> and now what does it do? What does the app do? What is it's it? It's got all the radio shows. It's got some interviews that I do. It's got video, meditation videos, updates on my my page on Huffington Post that I write for quite regularly, um, calendar of events, um, lots of free tools, all of it for free. Just and a lot a, of tools. Um, you have a meditation program. I do. I do. I saw on your website. What's it called? We have uh, America Meditating Radio, and we have a lot of meditation courses and classes that we do at the museum or everywhere we go. And for clarity, my interpretation of meditation is somebody who's in charge of what they want to think, when they want to think it, or how long they want to think, and why they want to think that. So it's not an absence of thinking for me and for us here, but it's more a focus on um, thinking the right kinds of thoughts that can 
keep progressing the soul's abilities and capacities to contribute more to the planet rather than take from it. Mm, and it's having, um, I find that people that meditate regularly, you know, it's not about, yes, we have to quiet our mind and we become very aware of our thoughts. And um, in time, you become aware of your thoughts just in your day-to-day consciousness and you can let them run you or not run you. You can turn them on. You can turn them off. You can, you know what I mean? You have a choice. That's the effort. Yeah, that's the effort. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting, everyone, because what it really is, is um, our thoughts are everything. It's Mm -hmm. really the most misunderstood power, but yet the greatest power that if we accessed it accurately and powerfully, we could do wonders. We could do wonders with a powerful mind. Now, the mind with a lot of fear um, becomes really useless towards sustainability. So we want to get Absolutely. rid of that fear and really bring that love and, and, and truth and power into the, each person's beings. And I was laughing, Kelly, because I love to laugh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> when you were saying about quiet the mind, I chuckled because I thought our minds get quiet when we're no longer subservient to our waste and negative patterns of thinking. So I can, I, I've got, I've just got to get charge, got to take charge of not allowing that pattern to expand too much in my realm of consciousness. And instead, um, let me stop looking at how ugly of a dress she chose to wear tonight. Or let me stop looking at the fact that my husband keeps doing the same thing over and over again. Or let me stop thinking that I'm scared that my teenage is going to make a mistake. All of that is waste and negative thoughts. And those add to our peacelessness. So what I tell people, just mind your business and everything will fall into place. That's beautiful. Makes perfect sense because it's true. I mean, does the mind ever really go quiet? Not really. It's just a matter of the quality of thought. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Would you you want your mind to go quiet anyway when life is so beautiful and rich? Absolutely not. Right? Yeah. You're from my tribe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way for people to find you if they want to know more about what you're doing and get your audio program? First, through a thought. Send me a thought of good wishes and pure feelings. I'll feel you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Send prayers. (laughs) Just say I wish Sister Janet to always flourish and be an amazing, amazing instrument on the planet. Then I'll feel you and I'll say you too. I wish you the same. But in Mm. terms of real time, um, just feel free to go to um, www.americameditating.com dot org website and you can also find us on all of those social media links facebook and twitter as well well thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, once again we've been speaking with sister jenna and her website is americanmeditating.org she has a lot of um, events media radio and uh, beautiful messages for all of us. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be well. You have been listening to Theater of the Mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness. Visit Theater of the Mind online at www.kellyhowell.com 
Leave comments, questions, and feedback and join the conversation about consciousness. We want to know what you're thinking. Theater of the Mind podcast is brought to you by BrainSync.com. CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance. Find them at www.BrainSync.com. Molecules of emotion, remote viewing, noatropics, miracles of mind, super learning, the physiology of trauma, PSI, morphogenic resonance, heart intelligence, theater of the mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness, theater of the mind podcast, brought to you by BrainSync.com, CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance at BrainSync.com, expand your knowledge of the body-mind connection and learn how to tap the other 90% of your unused potential. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Theater of the Mind, your host, Kelly Howell. Okay, we have a great show today. I know it doesn't sound great when I tell you what it's about, but it is great. It's on regret. It's hard to go through life without having a few regrets. We make mistakes, we learn, we try again, we keep trying to do better, And life often gives us a chance for a do-over. We have opportunities to do things differently, to choose differently, and make changes until time runs out and we don't get any more chances. My guest today spent many years caring for people who were in their last weeks and months of life, people who knew they were dying, people who knew There was no more time for a do-over. Bronnie Ware is the author of the international best-selling book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, A Life Transformed by the Dearly Departing. And she's also author of Your Year for Change, 52 Reflections for Regret-Free Living. Drawing on the insights gained while caring for dying people, Ronnie speaks to the importance of courage and conscious choice to create a regret-free life. Ronnie, welcome. Thank you, Kelly. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, let's start with how your book came about and, and how your life was transformed by the people you cared for in the last chapter of their lives. Um, okay, well, I was looking after dying people. I'd uh, prayed for a child. Was that, um, Bronnie, was that a, like a career choice? I mean, did was that a plan for you to? <laughs> no, uh-huh. it was a calling. It, it was a calling. I'd, um, I was looking for a job with heart, and I, I had a very dissatisfying banking career, and I ended up taking on a job as a live-in carer for an elderly lady and I was also working on becoming a singer-songwriter. And so the first person I looked after, this elderly lady, she ended up becoming terminally ill and after that I found myself um, having dealt with her, uh, caring for her through her death. I found a bit of a calling and the agency I was working with asked if I'd like to do a little bit more training and stay focused on that direction. So 
And that led me into eight years of looking after dying people um, in their homes, people who knew they were dying and, and they'd gone home to die. And so I was their one-on-one personal carer. And uh, and I certainly didn't see that coming. I, I, I asked for a job with heart, but I didn't realize that it was going to take every bit of my heart to get through. Wow. I love that you, you actually uh, articulated that for yourself, that you wanted a job with heart. What What does that mean for you? I, I think people would like to know. Well, it was a job where I could be myself and feel like I was making a positive difference and I, that I didn't have to deal with sales targets in the banking industry and wear high heels and corporate uniforms. That right. was a little bit odd. Um, but it was more just a, a job that I could feel um, love in and that I could express love in and that I could be my, my best self without any um, without having to fit into any molds or anything else. I could just be myself um, and, and that's exactly what I ended up being given. That's beautiful. So these people that you cared for transformed your life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I thought I was giving to them and I was being their carer, but over eight years I, I started to well, over you know, the first year I started to recognise how much my life was being blessed by the lessons they were sharing with me. And certainly through the eight years of, of being with them, I, I came out of it a completely different person. And I was carrying a lot of pain from my own upbringing, a lot of emotional uh, baggage, and I had a lot of healing to do. And as I gave to others, I, I received so much in return, and I gently peeled back the layers that were that were holding me back. And uh, yeah, I, I just kept realize. I started to realize what an honor it actually was that I wasn't. No matter how much I gave to my patients, it was nothing to what I was re- actually receiving. It uh, it's so real being with people dying. I mean, it's mm. just it's like we you know we go through our lives and we think we have time forever, and you know days go by, weeks go by, years go by, but when you are in the presence of a person who knows that they are dying, it puts everything in a different light. I would think that um, that time the idea of time and how we spend our time and the choices that we make would be um, would be up front and center. Absolutely, Kelly. Um, it, one of the things that everyone had in common, whether they, not everyone had regrets who I looked after, um, but plenty obviously did. Um, but one thing they all had in common, whether they had regrets or not, was almost all of them said to me, I can't believe it's over. And that was whether they were 40 years old or 80 years old. They just, that they kept expressing, you know, it's gone so fast, I cannot believe that it's over already. And and then the actual transition from dying, you know, one moment someone's alive in the room and, you know, obviously very ill, but they're, they're alive. And the next minute they're, they've gone. And that transition is such a, a fast process. And, truly brought home to me what a blessing the gift of time is and how important it is for us to recognize that and to talk more about death and that it is an in- inevitable process for all of us. And the more we can bring it into our mainstream conversations, the more we actually realize 
what a precious gift time is and we do become more courageous because we, in acknowledging that gift, we we recognize how that it is decreasing so we've got to get on with it yeah yeah it's true i mean i'm i i just had my 60th birthday so it is uh, very palpable to me you know i i'm looking at the rest of my life thinking well how do i want to spend my time and i am making very specific choices um because I only have so much time left, unless they come up with a magical cure <laughs> for aging. Yes, well, but history has shown that, you know, it is, it is quite likely that we're all going to have to face it at some stage. Mm-hmm. So that's right. And so if we can make our, con- our choices more consciously, then whatever time we have left is filled with so many, uh, the experiences are so much richer because we've, we're have we not just stumbling along or thinking we've got all the time in the world. We're actually doing it consciously and enriching our lives. It's, it's, it's the only way to do it. Now, you, sp- you speak about um, the courage that it takes. Could you um, elaborate on that more? Okay. Uh, how um, important it is to, you know, to develop that courage to make mm. choices to create a life that you want the the thing is whatever our heart is is calling like whatever our our longings are and our dreams are that and that's our heart speaking and that calling is actually to not only give us um a life that we're going to love and enjoy which is a, a great um a great appreciation for the gift of life in itself but that calling is is also to bring us into our best self and almost all of us are are scared of our best self because our potential is actually amazing and we're hindered by all of the conditioning that we're carrying so much of that conditioning is actually um comes down to that first regret is being affected by how we'll be perceived by others and so it takes courage to step out of that and to start honouring who we are because chances are it's going to make us different from the world we're living in and often we'll be ridiculed or we'll be thought of as a fool or an idiot or we'll be misunderstood by people who who we want to connect with. But there's there's no greater truth than than what our heart is calling us to do, and so we have to be c- courageous because there are those risks, and, and well, they're almost guarantees that we will be misunderstood and we will be thought of as a fool for doing things differently, and so courage is needed from that perspective because we have to still stay true to that and and keep going, but. It's, it's also needed within ourselves irrespective of what others think of us because the more, um, the more we shed what's holding us back, the more we can actually see our potential and, and that can be terrifying that, that we could actually step into being well beyond what we imagine, who we imagine we could be. Mm. That's beautiful. Your first regret, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. So the people that you were with, not all of them, obviously, but some had that regret. 
Yes, yeah. More people I looked after um, had regrets than didn't, and the pain of those regrets was was so incredibly powerful that it was impossible not to notice them. And oh, that's so sad. Oh, it's, it's tragic. It, it was it was heart wrenching to witness because you know no matter how, and this is what gives me courage now is is no matter how difficult a decision is in our life and how much courage it takes, how much pain we have to shed to to find that courage and keep going towards our heart's calling, none of it is as painful as what I witnessed from dying people and the anguish they went through, having those regrets and knowing it was too late to make any significant changes. What a gift for you to be in the presence and for people to share that with you. Such a gift. Yeah, you know, that's what I say. I, I received so much because I, I went in there thinking I was being a good carer, but in, in actual fact my uh, the, the lessons were so repetitive that, that they, they couldn't help but change my own life. Yeah, you got a big download from the universe. <laughs> You know, what I find interesting is you, you know, you said in your book that, uh, that you became, you, you went in as a carer and ended up being a listener and you were listening to them, but it was also listening to you because it changed your life. Absolutely. And I think that is the gift I was given, um, and the gift they were given the time together because a lot of, uh, people with, in the medical field, go into it with loving hearts and wanting to make a heartfelt difference but they don't they're in a system that is is too busy and they can't spend enough time with each of the patients whereas I was a one-on-one carer in people's homes so these were people who knew they were dying and they had the funds to hire um, the financial prosperity to hire a carer within their home and so I'd be with them from 8 a.m. in the morning uh, till 8 p.m., six day, five or six days a week. And the nurses and doctors would come and go and the family would come and go. But at the end of the day, each time in between all of that, it was just me and that one person. And so we couldn't help but form an incredible bond and and listen to each other. And so we were given that, that gift of time, even though it was decreasing and they were ill, the, the time we were given was such high-quality time and with all the other distractions removed and the ego dissolving, the conversations were were just incredible. I bet. Yeah. I bet. Okay, people, I want everybody to hear this one. Regret number two. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I think that is, I don't know, it just seems like people are working so hard. They're so busy. They're running from one thing to another, and if you put it into perspective and think about how you would feel in your last months of life, would you look back and go, gee, that was really worth it? Mm, In most cases, no. (laughs) (laughs) Were these more men or women that, that had that regret? They were more men, but I think that was a generational thing because a lot they of the people... They were older, I, yeah. Yes, yeah, and I I can see the patterns in generations now where it would certainly apply to women as well. Definitely it, it will will apply to women with the way, the pace that we're living. And it wasn't about not loving your work. I mean, I love my work and I can dedicate myself to it hugely, but 
it was about making those conscious choices that and and honoring other parts of our life not only work and making choices towards a simpler lifestyle and again that can be influenced by how others perceive us and the expectations of others but choosing a simpler lifestyle can reduce the expenses and so then you you can actually afford to take more time a little bit more time off work or to choose a job that doesn't carry so much stress and and so there's small choices you can make It, it may seem like like you can't, you've got a family to support, you've got commitments, but there are day-to-day choices that can be made over time that eventually do actually create space and and take off that pressure so that you can honour the other parts, parts of life outside of work. Yeah, we do pressure ourselves and we set up these um, situations. I, I remember when I first started my company and had the beginnings of success, you know, I had, I ended up with two cars and, you know, it just, I, I wanted all these things because I hadn't had them. And, um, and then I got to a point where I thought, you know, the more I have, the more it owns me. And so it creates this sort of sense of, you know, you're working for, for your possessions, for your, your home, your cars, your, you know, whatever, obligations you've signed up for so uh, it can get a little out of hand absolutely Kelly well said you know that that's that's exactly right and that's the fine line with with success as well where you you get to a point where you either have to stagnate where you don't grow and you say okay I I don't want to grow anymore and and, um, and create a bit more space in my life and then you risk stagnating or going backwards. Um, or part of the choices you make in success, which are choices I've also had to make where I've just because I could do everything didn't mean I had to do everything. And so with each step up, what I've done is made those conscious choices and employed staff even if it's only um, for a few hours a week, just to um, to take the load from things I can do, but things I actually don't have to do anymore, and and it takes letting go and trusting and handing over those responsibilities. But with every um, choice I've made in that direction, it's it's keeping space for my family time and for for so many other things that enrich my life beyond work. It's so true. I, I think another element to this is about, um, I've always said, the power of saying no is critical to learn, you know, as we um, go through life, to learn to say no. No, I don't want, I don't, you know, there are th- some things that we, look, life, uh, we have to do things that we don't always want to do. But there are plenty of opportunities to say no to doing those things. Yes, there are, and some of the things we say yes to, um, some are some are affected again by trying to keep up appearances or or doing what we think is expected of us in society. But some of them, some of the things we say yes to, can also be through fear. So we may say yes to work opportunities because we're scared we may not get that opportunity again, um, or that. We may not earn that same amount of money again, but what I've found is is the more courageous, uh, the more courageously I live, the uh, uh, the more skilled I become at surrendering, and the deeper my faith becomes. So, 
I make my choices now on whether something is going to feel good or not rather than how much money can this opportunity make me. And and I say no to things and sometimes after I say no, I think, gosh, that you know, that could have been a, a trip to Europe for the family. Mm. <laughs> and then I, but then I think, oh, hang on a sec, but it wouldn't have felt good. It, it would not have been authentic and I don't want to live a life that's, that's not authentic. And whenever I do that and I have the courage to say no based on that, based on that it's not going to feel good for me, almost immediately another opportunity comes out of the blue that not only feels good but pays better as well. <laughs> so... You know, courage is rewarded. It's true. And and you really, it's a process of becoming more and more authentic and true to yourself. Mm, yes, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, that is so empowering. And that's the sort of, that's the only way we can create a life free of regret is, is to just keep making those choices um, based on what actually is, is right for us, what fits us. Um, correctly, yeah. I don't want to give away all the regrets because I want people to read the book, but I do. I really want to talk about uh, one of them that I, mm-hmm. I is very dear to my heart. I wish I had let myself be happier, and I I really like the way that you worded that regret because it implies we have a choice. And all the recent research I've been reading is we now know that that happiness is is something that can be cultivated. It's something we have to choose to create. Mm. And it is a cultivation. You're, you're spot on there. It's, it doesn't mean, uh, it definitely doesn't mean to deny hard times. We, we need to let our sadness out, our anger out. The last thing we want to do is, is carry, is allow a buildup of emotions and carry those. They're just going to create disease and further unhappiness down the track. We, we need to let those feelings out. But we have a choice in how long we wallow in them. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been through depression. I've lived through 24-7 chronic pain with autoimmune disease. I've, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm like everyone. I've, I've had my fair hard road and, and my fair challenges. But... Even through that, I'm always trusting that in the big picture, there's a blessing in disguise here. And so the more we can shift our focus to gratitude or finding that blessing, despite how challenging and difficult it is, the more we are making choices towards happiness. So the the faster it shifts and the more we return back to a capable, um, easier place in ourselves and you know, that, that does and does create joy and happiness. So it's definitely not about denying the difficult times and the hard feelings. It's about finding the blessings in them and keeping coming back to, to gratitude and thinking, okay, how can I, what can I be grateful for in this moment? Even if this is falling apart, what else is great in my life right now? And, and it's those, those choices that actually are the choices towards happiness. Yeah, what what can make me more happy? Yes, you know, because yes. even in the in the depths of whatever situation, there's always something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, there's someone, there's people who could die today, and no one would even notice them that they've gone. And so, even if we're in our our most difficult place, it's like, okay, would someone actually notice that you died? Great, I'm I'm. You know, I'm loved enough that someone would notice and it can even get down to that or I, I know when I was at my, my lowest, I had to 
what I found gratitude in were things were absolute basics like I've got clean water, I've got a roof over my head and I haven't always had that, you know, but I'd I just think, okay, I've I've got a roof over my head and clean water. I I've, I live in a country where I've got choices, and you know I, there, there's freedom. There's always things you can find, no matter how much life is falling apart. And that habit of gratitude does create an amazing life. Tell me about what you're doing now. It, it looks like you've branched out into what you really are passionate about: writing music and teaching people how to mm, write music. Um, well, that was sort of at, towards the end of the book, and so I've since become a mum. I became a first-time mum at forty-five, and yes, oh, wow. I conceived <laughs> naturally and very quickly. So, you know, anything is possible. And so, because my daughter came into my life so so late, she's family is a priority now. I, I lived a very a very free life, and I'm, I'm glad that freedom wasn't wasted on me, but. And now a lot of it's about family and my music has led me to becoming a speaker and I I speak a lot. Um, I've, I've, I have a huge following in Europe now. My book sold over half a million in Germany alone. And Oh, wow, yes, congratulations. So there's actually a movie in the pipeline as well for Five Regrets. So there's all sorts of different directions going off but um, – yeah, my music is still a big part of who I am and I'm just finishing my third book which is uh, called Bloom. It's coming out in March next year, in March 2017 and the subtitle of that is A Tale of Courage, Surrender and Breaking Through Upper Limits because that's that's where my life has been for the last uh, few years, so ever since Five Regrets really. So I'm still writing and I'm, but I'm doing much more speaking now. Um, and again, I make those choices about not working too hard. I have to say no to more than I say yes to, but the events that I do speak at, I absolutely love. And yeah, I'm, I'm sort of opening to all sorts of new opportunities and and I don't like to pigeonhole myself only as a singer-songwriter or only as an author. I think that we have to continually evolve and the more we can let go of those labels, the more we can actually blend all of our skills into one one direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the subtitle of your book, mm-hmm. Bloom, uh, um, what was A Tale of Courage, Surrender and Breaking Through Upper Limits. So what do you mean by that, breaking through the upper limits? Um, realising our worth and allowing allowing through what life wants to bless us with. And I'm not just talking financial prosperity. I'm, I'm talking all elements, our, our, you know, our dream home, our relationships, our, our calling to be, be our best self. Um, when I, just after I had my daughter, um, which, as you know, was late in life. So it was it was a very healthy pregnancy and an absolute blessing. But almost immediately following that, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And so I've been on a healing journey through that and became so crippled that I, I was needing a wheelchair at, at times and I couldn't walk on the grass. I couldn't sit on the ground for a couple of years because I couldn't get up again. And so I've been through a huge journey there as well. And now I'm jumping on a trampoline, I'm riding a push bike, I'm, I'm doing so many things, but I'm doing them all from a, a place of immense gratitude. And what that journey through RA has taught me is about courage, surrender and breaking through upper limits because 
I got exactly what I asked for. I wanted to live happily without guilt. I wanted to, um, I wanted to know my absolute best self, and I wanted to to own that and step into that without, um, without bumping every time I'd step up onto the next level, bumping my head on something to knock myself back down again. So. I have broken through upper limits and uh, and I've, I've come to a place of self-care that was always what my heart wanted and, and it took being cracked open by, by disease to actually learn to treat myself in such a kind way and then carry that kindness forward um, free of the symptoms of the disease. So um, it's, it's been a, a heck of a ride and, and all of us have upper limits because we're, we're so much more amazing than than we can truly imagine. But as we chip away at those limits and step up each time, and di- and courageously step up each time, the more they those those limits we bump our heads on dissolve. And and as you keep stepping up, life just opens up in so many fabulous ways. Mm, I like that title, yeah. Bloom, because <laughs> life is opening yes. up when you. When you do that, yeah. Well, thank you for what you're doing, Bronnie. It's beautiful. You're such an inspiration. <laughs> thank you. Really? Oh, well, thank you, Bronnie. Once again, we've been speaking with Bronnie Ware, and her website is bronnieware.com. Okay, I hope you all had a chance to listen to our last show with Sally Kempton on Embodying the Goddess. I love her book. I'm actually doing the practices, and they're phenomenal. We may even do something with Sally and the goddesses on my app, Meditate Me with Kelly Howell. We recently uploaded the entire BrainSync library to the in-app purchase section of Meditate Me. So now you can have all of your audio programs in one place through the app. And now that most of the technical detailia is over with, I can start making new meditation programs. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, take care to live without regrets and be well. You have been listening to Theater of the Mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness. Visit Theater of the Mind online at www.kellyhowell.com. Leave comments, questions, and feedback and join the conversation about consciousness. We want to know what you're thinking. Theater of the Mind podcast is brought to you by BrainSync.com. CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance. Find them at www.brainsync.com. It's here, it's hot, and it's a must-read. It's the science behind The Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net That's lawofattractionmagazine.net.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.